This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back. It's the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Matt Marchese filling in for Jeff. Uh, he'll be back on Monday, and then he will, well, he'll take off next week, and you'll have to deal with me again. I like it. Um, you know, there's a lot of positive things when we look at the big picture in Anaheim with the Ducks, but right now, it's, well, it's interesting. Um, guys are dropping like flies with all these injuries. Um, there's the Cutter Gauthier trade uh, to provide a little bit of light and to to weigh in a little bit on this and, and maybe talk a little bit about the Kings if we have some time. Eric Stevens from The Athletic joins us now. Eric, how are you today? I'm good, Matt. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, so, you know, it's been, I'll, I'll give you kind of a, a kick at the pinata here, or sorry, a whack at the pinata. It'll be a kick at the can. Um, it's been the story of the week. And as someone who covers the ducks as well as the Kings on the regular, what was your reaction to the cutter goat for Jamie Drysdale deal? You know, one that, that you just don't see this kind of deal made these, you know, these days when you're talking about two, highly thought of uh, prospects or in Jamie Drysdale's case, someone that's already, you know, playing big NHL minutes, but is also very young, you know, with Jamie being only uh, 20 or you know, 21 cutter being 19. How often do you see this type of deal? Yeah. So I think in that sense, that really was a bit, just an eye opener in itself. Um, but then I think also too, it's just reflective of, um, Anaheim's general manager, Pat Verbeek, really identifying a need for his club. Not really now. I mean, they need a lot of stuff now, but really for the future in terms of Cutter being the kind of player that they just didn't have in their system. A big power forward that can score, that can finish chances, that has a tremendous shot that, you know, theoretically could be a consistent 30 goal score once he gets to the NHL that's that's what they view him as and you know to sacrifice somebody like Jamie Drysdale who was once thought of as being you know maybe part of their core you know I I think it speaks to the depth that he had to deal from and the fact that maybe he views that some of those young defenders that he has may have higher upside and that he could comfortably part with someone like that. That leads us to the question about Cutter Gauthier and when he makes the jump to the NHL, um, he's a center by trade uh, and they're kind of, they're kind of pretty good up the middle with Mason McTavish and Leo Carlson for the future. I, I remember having this kind of same conversation about, you know, is Trevor Zegras going to be a center with those two guys? And the answer has been no. Um, and now he's on the shelf. Do you think that wing is where they look at him long-term with those two guys already there? Or could he push a guy like Mason McTavish to the wing? Yeah, they've really got some choices ahead of them. Um, that really is going to be an interesting one, like you said, Matt, uh, because they've got some vers- versatile guys there. I mean, even Leo has been... Um, you know, has played some wing in his time. Although I firmly believe that they view Leo as their number one center, mm-hmm. uh, that, that clearly as their number one center. And I th- do think that Mason is uh, one that's going to play in the middle, or, you know, right now. Obviously, Cutter has that ability. I mean, he's playing 
center at BC right now. He, he's had a lot of time there. There are many people who feel like he can be a center at the NHL level. But given what you alluded to, you know, the fact that they've got those two already in place um, and Cutter himself saying, you know, feeling very comfortable playing on the wing. It's it, it's not, you know, he hasn't given any indication thus far that he has to play center uh, in order to flourish. Uh, he said the other day that he's comfortable playing either. Um, and with his kind of finishing ability um, and, and being, you know, a shot first guy, you could see where he could just run shotgun next to next to either Leo or, or, or Mason for the next several years. Yeah. Uh, Eric Stevens from the athletic joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick show. Uh, now it's the elephant in the room. I mean, maybe it's not the elephant in the room because it's what everybody's talking about. And and maybe this has kind of gone on the back burner here with the injury to Trevor Zegris. Um, this is a conversation that has gone on for, you know, maybe about a year here. Does this mean something for the future of Trevor Zegers? How do you think they view him long-term? And is he a part of the, the solution here? Or, you know, do you think that a, te- a team would be willing to take a shot on him and say, look at the offensive upside that this guy has, and he becomes a trade asset for the Anaheim Ducks? Well, I think no doubt there's going to be teams that are going to be interested in him. I mean, why wouldn't you be? Um, you know, what, whatever you think of his ceiling, uh, you know, whether that's a high-end complimentary offensive player, whether it's, uh, you know, one that can, you know, lead his own line, could, that could be a near star, maybe a star in the future. You know, who knows? Whatever you think of it, he's got the kind of talent that would make him uh, an asset, a big asset for many teams in this league. I mean, I think you'd be foolish not to, you know, ask about him and, and check in on him. I think on the Ducks' end, you know, he's something that you, I, I don't think you need to make a big decision on his future and how you view him, you know, right now. I, I, I can imagine that Pat Verviga's already, you know, thought about, okay, is this the type of guy, is he the, 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 the kind of guy that, that, that's going to be part of my core that eventually wins? Um, is he going to be that type of player? I'm sure he's batted that around in his mind. Um, but he's not a guy that you just want to, you know, you trade just because you want to trade and, and you're maybe loaded, you know, already at center whatsoever. Uh, you know, he, they don't need to do anything with him right now. And I'm not suggesting that they will. Um, but, uh, you know, he's, he's a tremendous asset, whether, whether, whether to have on their team or at some point, you know, in the future, consider, moving you know in in order to round out the vision of what he has in terms of you know when it's time for them to really contend again and whether he fits into that picture contending is uh, an interesting thing when it comes to the ducks because you look at the future you look at the guys that they have on the roster right now and you say like i i could see this there's some really nice pieces and maybe they gave us a glimpse into that early in the year when you know they were winning a bunch of games a lot of them of the comeback variety and you're like okay this is interesting but how has this year been handled by the fan base like do they get frustrated because of you know what they saw at the beginning of the season and say oh you know this was nice or do they see you know the big picture here in the continued development from guys like McTavish and Carlson and Minchikov and then, you know, other guys like Olin Zellweger and, and Cutter Goche on the horizon. Do they 
are they still patient, I guess, is what I'm asking, because it's kind of been tough sledding over the last few years for the Ducks and, and their fan base. I, I think they are. I think they still are. Um, because of what you mentioned, they see the pieces that are being put in place. And these are very young pieces. I mean, you know, Carlson is going to be viewed as as, as a bedrock piece. He's 19. You know, they've got Pavel Mentnikov on the back back end getting big minutes already, and he's 20. You know, they've got a bunch of, you know, their their best young players who are already, you know, having a huge role are all 22 and under. So they see the pieces here, and yeah, I, I think they're more frustrated in the fact that, you know, they, they haven't been able to get really have everybody in the same same lineup altogether, you know, whether through injuries, um, you know, you had the Leo plan earlier before he got hurt where Pat Verbeek was, you know, sitting him occasionally in order to build him up over this season. You know, they, they haven't had all those players in, you know, in the lineup for any sustained length of time. So I think there's frustration in that sense. And, um, but I think they're very much, uh, very much patient and, you know, they, they probably, you know, there's a lot of fans that that won't mind, you know, them staying around the the, the bottom of the league, you know, record wise, and and having another shot at a at a top five pick in this draft here. Um, John Gibson, so he gets hurt last night. Uh, Lucas Dostal comes in in uh, in relief of him. And John Gibson, you know, you cover this team. His name has been bandied about in trade talks for, well, since I can remember. Um, not since the day he got there, but it feels like not soon after the way it's been. Uh, Elliot Freeman alluded to this earlier. We were talking about the goalie market and how difficult this John Gibson deal might be because not only do you have to pay up for the player, there's some injury history there, as we know, but also there's the contract that goes along with it. Not that there's a rush here from Pat Verbeek, but do you think with, you know, with all the goalie injuries and the way that, you know, a lot of goalies have played this year, do you think that maybe this might be the time to strike while the iron's hot? Granted that, you know, Gibson's not out for a significant period of time here uh, with John Gibson to try and move on from that contract, get some assets back and really help kind of build this thing going forward. Um, Because Lucas Dostal has looked really good in the time that he's been there. It's the contract, you know, in my opinion, uh, you know, his injury history. Yes. He's, he's gotten, you know, you know, I mean, he got dinged last night, obviously. And, and, and we'll see, you know, if this keeps him out for, you know, any sort of length of time or whatsoever. But, um, you know, I saw a stat where it, it I think it's a little bit of a misnomer because over the, I think I saw a stat where over the last four or five years, um, you know, he's, you know, maybe played about the fifth most games. Uh, you know, than any goalie in the league. So, you know, I mean, he he does have more durability than I think the you know the perception of, of him uh, is out there. I think it's more just the contract. Uh, you know, when you have four more years at six point four, uh, you know, left, and the fact that I think as of, as of right now, you know, I, I think Pat Verbeek is not willing to, you know, eat. Some of that money, uh, you know, at least at least from the signals that I've gotten right now, that's more of the impediment in terms of being able to make a deal happen. Now, it's it's a good thing that he's kind of returned to form, uh, 
you know, this year uh, whatsoever. I mean, we, we see, you know, the Ducks are still struggling. That You know, they can still be very leaky defensively, but his numbers have swung back um, upward, you know, this year in terms of, uh, you know, the basic and underlying metrics. So I think that's good in terms of his value uh, whatsoever. But until, until they decide that, you know, they're willing to eat a good portion of that money, uh, you know, or whatsoever. I, I think that's the thing that'll, you know, either spur a, a potential deal along, um, you know, or, or, or at least help that along. But again, it's four years. Does a team really want to be, want to have that kind of dead money on its cap for that long? If it were maybe two years, I think I could, yeah, I could see more where a deal, you know, could definitely happen because there are teams, we, we know them. They're, they're teams that need some, need an upgrade and goal content, some contending teams. And I think he could still help, help a club for sure. In the time that Pat Verbeek has been there, what have you learned about him? Because to me, it's, you know, he's a very quiet, unassuming guy that at least from a media perspective, he doesn't do a ton of it. Um, he kind of, you know, he comes from the Steve Eiserman school of business here where Steve Eiserman doesn't talk a lot either. Um, do you get to learn a lot about Pat Verbeek covering this team because he's, you know, unassuming and kind of, you know, I don't want to say out in the ether, but you don't really get to hear from him very much. And the job that he's done, like he's still building this roster and they're going to be patient. Um, what have you learned about Pat Verbeek during your time covering him? <laughs> I, I've learned that he comes right from the Steve Eiserman school <laughs> of uh, of doing his job and and being more of a more of a uh, more of a guy who operates under the radar and and, and operates uh, in. I don't know if you would say sleuth mode. I'm probably saying it wrong, but um, you know when he strikes, he strikes and he's decisive, whether right from the get go uh, in terms of you know breaking things down and and trading players like Hampus Lindholm and Josh Manson and Ricard Raquel, you know right off the bat to to you know to really spur the rebuild that they're in um, to obviously the deal that he made uh, on Monday. You know, in terms of I, you know, really identifying someone that he needed and really going after him, and you know, I, I don't want to say that he's cold, <laughs> but I, 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 you know, or, or, or anything like that. But I, I think that um, he's very clinical. You know, in terms of his decision making, and once he once he decides on something, he makes his move. So you know, that's yeah. It, it you know, he he doesn't put himself out there. Uh, you know, certainly like maybe say other GMs and, and that's certainly how he works. That's how Steve Arzeman uh, works. And, and he, you know, he really learned uh, a, a, a ton from him. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that that's what I've found so far with with Pat in terms of he's got a clear vision on what he how he wants to shape this team. And when it's time to make a move, he, he doesn't let, you know, personal feelings really you know, get in the way here. It, it, it's, it's all about, you know, trying, you know, trying to build out, build out this uh, club, this franchise and, and get it back to where it was, you know, really in the, in, in the, uh, you know, 2010s and, and whatsoever, when it was contending, you know, for many years. Uh, the Ducks are a very fascinating case here. All that young talent that's coming up. If they can put it together, boy, oh boy, uh, it's going to be scary. Eric, thank you so much for taking some time for us today. Really appreciate it as always. Be well um, and uh, have a great weekend. 
Hey, you too, Matt. Always enjoy the conversation and always love being on. Thank you very much. There he goes. Eric Stevens from The Athletic covering the Anaheim Ducks. We didn't even get to the LA Kings. And they're an absolute disaster right now. I mean, they have picked up points along this seven-game losing streak, uh, four of, of seven games. But, I mean, uh, maybe we'll talk about that with our next guest. Uh, Scotty Lachlan will join us at the top of the next hour. Uh, time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local. And we're looking ahead to Hockey Night in Canada. It's the Oilers at the Canadians. The puck line is Oilers minus one and a half. The over has hit in the last seven meetings overall between these two teams. The series is split over the last 10, with each team winning five. Um, the Oilers are trying to make it 10 in a row tomorrow night on hockey night in Canada while Montreal tries to bounce back to after that. Let's face it. Anytime you lose to the San Jose sharks, it's not a good thing. And the Sharks snapped their 12 game losing streak. Thanks to the Montreal Canadians uh, who, according to my pal, Jonathan Davis, everybody's pal, uh, they're one in seven on the second half of back to backs. Um, that is not good for those keeping track at home. Uh, how about this one? Connor McDavid riding a nine game point scoring streak with five goals and 10 assists in that span. Uh, don't look now, but he's eighth in scoring. Uh, somebody on this program back in November said he was still going to win the scoring title. Can't imagine who that was. Um, um, uh, as, as uh, technical operator, Lance Kennedy says a tough branch to go out there uh, with Connor McDavid. The Oilers have won 17 of their last 20 and McDavid has 39 points in that 20 game stretch. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. So that one tomorrow night on hockey night in Canada, it is the Oilers at the Canadians. That was line change presented by sports interaction, your homegrown sports book bet local second half of the show on the horizon. Scotty Lachlan co-host of the morning skate on NHL network radio will join us. Talk about Sidney Crosby passes Mike bossy and a conversation about how we look at Sidney Crosby's legacy as a goal scorer. Talk about all that and more with Mr. Lachlan when we come back. All that and more. This is the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese in for Jeff. You're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet 360. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back. Hour two of the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese in for Jeff. You're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet 360. It's Friday. You know, little peek behind the curtain. There is nothing like trying to run back to the studio to get back here on time on a bum ankle. Like, that's just the penance you pay for being old and, well, out of shape. We'll call it what it is. That was a fun trek back here. Lance, you almost had to rescue me. <laughs> Lance shakes his head. I'm not, I'm not coming to get you. Get out of here. <laughs> Music and a chair show. That's what we call it. Um, uh, just waiting to connect here with uh, Scott Lachlan, co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio. Um, this Sidney Crosby thing. Yesterday, he passes Mike Bossy for 22nd on the all-time goal scoring list. And 
there's an interesting conversation that was kind of percolating online, and I want to talk to Scotty about it, but just like how you value and how you look at the legacy of Sidney Crosby as a goal scorer. Um, we have Scotty on the line now, uh, Scott Lachlan, co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio. How are you today, pal? I'm doing well, Matt. Yourself? I'm good. Uh, before we get to any hockey talk, you know I have to ask you this question. Okay, because we go back uh, talking about football before and I host a football (laughs) show on this network and I have to ask you, how comfortable are you feeling ahead of your Cowboys hosting the Green Bay Packers on Sunday? I tell you what, Matt, I have uh, nervous anticipation with regards to the game. Kind of like you're probably feeling as a Bills fan as you get set to host the Steelers in that crazy storm that's fast approaching. Uh, I feel good, uh, but not Great. And look, we know the history is working against the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I just hope that we're going to see a situation happening on Sunday afternoon where you've got a relatively young Green Bay team with a green quarterback, obviously, that's gained experience and taken a major step this season with the 32 touchdown passes in Jordan Love. You're hoping that maybe the Green Bay Packers might be just happy to be there and that the Cowboys with a little bit more experience, although not a lot of success at playoff time, as everybody knows, uh, and you'll hear it again if they end up losing on Sunday. I just hope it's one of those types of things where it's a rather eye-opening experience for the Green Bay Packers and the Cowboys, who, as we know, are virtually unbeatable at AT&T Stadium, could take advantage of all that. Uh, Scotty, if the Bills lose on Sunday, I'm not coming into work on Monday. <laughs> like, that's where my head's at I right feel you. Yeah, I feel you. I mean, the funniest thing I heard this morning, though, Matt, is is they were talking about, because of the impending storm, moving the game to Cleveland. Yeah, I saw like, that. Did I read that right? The NFL <laughs> yeah. says, no, 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 no. There, there's nothing to that. And I was thinking, you know, you're going from Buffalo to Cleveland. They know that the lakes are around there as well. They yeah. know about the lake effect snow. That'd be like, you know, trying to play a game in the middle of August in Florida, and you're saying it's too hot and humid here, so let's move to Texas and let's play a game there. <laughs> like, it just wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. No, it, the weather's going to be horrible. Um, this is why the city of Buffalo needs a dome stadium for their football team, or at least yeah. one with a retractable roof, but that's a conversation for another day. So I wanted to talk to you about Sidney Crosby. So last night, he passes Mike Bossy for 22nd on the all-time goals list with 574. Uh, he's got an outside shot to get to 600 before the end of the season. Uh, he has 23 goals in 40 games to date. He's got a sight set on Ray Bork and, and Phil Esposito on the all-time scoring list, all that stuff. Um, this is a guy who's playing at such an elite level at 36, about to turn 37, that, I, I, like, I he, he's always been the guy that I say, you know what, I wish that injuries didn't get the best of him for a, a good chunk of his career because we could be talking about a guy, you know, top three in scoring by the time that his career is done had he not been hurt i think so and you know look i i maybe it's just the older i get the older we all get uh i start to to really relish guys like this that can play at that level at the age of what 36 uh i i think it's amazing uh ovechkin has slowed down and there are various reasons for it it's not just father time with ovechkin it's the fact that he can't play with a playmaking center anymore like he did for the most part of his career with Nick Backstrom, and Kuznetsov is certainly not the player that he once was either. So you've got Dylan Strom, who's done a great job for Washington, but he's scoring goals. He's not necessarily
necessarily looking to set guys up. So you've got that. But I think Crosby at 36, and like I said, the older I get, Matt, the more I appreciate guys that are sticking around and playing, and, and maybe it's led by Tom Brady, the GOAT, at 45, doing what he was doing in the fact that he was still so highly productive at the advanced age. You can take it back even to Chris Chelios and players like that that really played well, well into their 40s. Now, Crosby still has a ways to get there, uh, of course, and the birth certificate's got to change a couple times over. But the reality is, is I think that he's showing no signs of slowing down. I think that's been great to watch. I think he's a top 10 player in the history of the game right now. I've talked to some present-day players, Matt, that feel like he might be top five. Now, again, they might be a little bit biased because the guys I've talked to are guys that actually matched up with Sidney Crosby and can kind of vouch for how great he is. But the fact he's 36 and he's still going strong and is one of the great stories in the NHL this season, I think that bodes well for the next couple of years. And then not only will he be top 10 in the minds of most, top five in the minds of some of the players, probably top five all time in the minds of some of the fans out there as well. Uh, Rob Rossi pointed this out on Twitter last night, and I, I, I thought it was a great way to look at it. So Crosby passes Mike Bossy, as we know, and Mike Bossy, you know, we know he did it in less games. We understand Mike Bossy is one of the purest goal scorers, maybe the purest goal scorer that this mm-hmm. game has ever seen. The difference is, is that Sidney Crosby is not, you know, I don't want to say he's not a natural goal scorer because I think that's, I, I don't think that's a correct way to assess him. I think he's a, a very good goal scorer who's a pass first kind of guy. Um, how do you view Sidney Crosby, the scorer in this legacy that he will leave with this game? Because he could very well get to, you know, 650 goals. Maybe he gets to 700 and then you're looking at going, but boy, that was such an underrated aspect of his game that, you know, he, he maybe he gets to 50 this year. I know he's gotten to 50 once in his career, but he's just been very consistent. But to get to 650 for a guy that's a pass first guy, I mean, that's incredibly impressive for a guy like Crosby. And I like to look at his legacy as that, you know, a pass first guy who, you know, is a really great scorer too. Well, I tell you what, I mean, that's why I think people are going to look at this guy as a top 10, maybe top five player of all time, because he's been so well-rounded in his game. And you're right, he's gotten to 50 once. It would be remarkable at the age of 36 if he could get there again. Uh, again, would be one of the great stories. Already is one of the great stories with how well he's playing so far this season, in the first half at least. Uh, but I think that that's what we've always looked at, at Sidney Crosby as, right? And I think Colby Armstrong, who of course is a BFF with, with Sidney, uh, Colby was the guy I think that said he's the greatest uh, fourth-line plugger with exceptional talent that we've ever seen here in this game. And that is he's got the work ethic of a fourth-line guy uh, that feels like he's got to get out there and win that battle in the corner and, and be dogged on the puck. And at the same time, he's got the high-end skill where we're talking about him as one of the greats of all time, too. So we've always known him to be a guy, too, Matt, that was a guy that always wanted to focus on some aspect of his game and in some way, shape, or form, getting better at something, right? We talked about him stepping in as a rookie, throwing up 102 points. Ironically, of course, the Penguins missed the playoffs that particular season, and then they had the great run that they did. But we also talked about him as a guy that was looking to get better. Uh, I want to be better on face-offs. All of a sudden, he worked hard on face-offs, and all of a sudden, he's one of the top face-off men in the game. I want to score more goals. All of a sudden, he's shooting the puck more often. He's shooting the puck better. He's putting himself in position on the ice to find the open space with which to score the goals. Now he's scoring 50-plus. You know, you look at him becoming a better defensive player and becoming a guy that all of a sudden is playing down below the hash marks. We see that on a regular basis. I mean, last night, even on the overtime winner, the DP40 scored on the great stretch pass from Hironik. 
Crosby just about caught him. Like, he mm-hmm. just about got there. And if the rink had have been 10 feet longer, Crosby certainly would have broken that play up, too. So just that effort that he continues to give with the fact that he's worked so hard to improve himself in different facets of his game is just amazing. When you can combine that work ethic with that God-given skill that he's got, you've got a top-10 player of all time. I think the most impressive thing about Crosby this year is how like he's kind of willed the penguins back into games or keeping them in games. Like at 36 years old, he's the guy who's still running the ship there. And I know he's probably not going to get heart trophy consideration, but I think he should, because if we're looking at the award and I know we don't look at the award this way, uh, but when you look at the award, most valuable player, most valuable player to his team, Boy, oh boy, I I know there's other guys in that conversation, but Sidney Crosby should be in the conversation because I can't imagine where the Penguins would be without him right now. No, I agree with you, Matt. And and look, that's always rankled me too. You know, most valuable player to his team, right? You could make the case, hey, like where would the Blackhawks be without Peter Morazic? He might be the most valuable to the Blackhawks, as we saw again last night. Uh, the reality is certainly he's not an MVP-type candidate. I've always thought, Matt, I don't know about you, but I've always thought this is one of the things that the Canadian Football League has done well over the years. It's called the most outstanding player, yep. and that is who's the best player in the league, period. Mm-hmm. Let's not leave it open to, hey, what about Chicago? Who's their best player? He's the most valuable to his team. What about the Ducks? You know, where would the Ducks be uh, without so-and-so? You know, the, the list goes on and on. So I've always thought that the CFL, it, it always kind of has been a head-scratcher to me that the CFL would name their coach of the year months after the season was ended. Uh, but regardless, what they've done right, though, I think is the most outstanding player, who's the best player in the league, and let's give from the MOP. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, Scott Lachlan, co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio, joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. Uh, did you see that Pavel Buchnevich? Uh, I did. Tyra- okay. <laughs> I, the first thought that I had, so for those that didn't see it, Pavel Buchnevich gets a chance at an empty net. He scores, and then he tomahawks the glass with his stick as if Pavel Buchnevich bet on the under, and I had no chance, no choice but to put it in the empty net. Have you seen something so bizarre in your many years covering this game? Because that was a weird one for me. Yeah, it was a weird one for me, that's for sure, and, and for you. Uh, you know what I thought about, Matt? I, I thought that that was Buchnevich, the former Ranger. I thought that was Buchnevich, in his way, flipping the middle finger to the New York Rangers. That's what I thought. He's like, damn, I'm going to put this, I'm going to put this game away. This puck's going into the empty net. Take that. I'm going to slam this stick. I'm so fired up about it. I love scoring against you guys as well. I would have loved to have stayed on Broadway. It wasn't meant to be. So that's the way I took that last night. Uh, somebody told me earlier today that there were things floating around in media uh, that Buchnevich uh, had no choice but to score into the empty net, and maybe he took the under in the game. I'm not really sure. I love it. How that played out. Uh, but uh, I, I thought it was really, hey, Rangers, take that. I love playing for you. I didn't want to really leave. You found that it was expendable. I'm in St. Louis. I'm going to finish this game off and beat you guys. I uh, wanted to touch on the the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, a win last night. They, they kind of get away with one. The, the Penguins come back in that game. But it's the lotto line again, which I think is great that they call them the lotto line because we have bad nicknames in sports and in hockey in general. But that line, when you watch them play, like Rick Tockett basically said, like, you can't break these guys up. They're too good. Um, whether, whether or not we need, you know, secondary scoring, like these guys are doing primary and secondary scoring with the way the three of them are playing. Does it now turn the focus to with the Canucks and adding, maybe they need to add a center and not a winger here. 
Well, yeah, that could be the case. I mean, it, 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 I guess, begs the question because, like, why did they break the lineup in the first place, right? And, and maybe it's one of those sort of situations where McDavid plays with dry settle sometimes, but not all the time, where Taves and Kane used to play together sometimes, but certainly not all the time. And in case of emergency, break glass, that type of thing. And, and Rick felt like, let's throw these guys back together again because you're right. I mean, since they've gotten back together again, this line has been the best line, I think, in, in hockey the last couple of weeks at least, too. So, uh, I, I think maybe you are looking for some added depth down the middle. I think that on defense, the fact that Philip Ronick uh, has really stepped up and played as well as he has, certainly Quinn Hughes would be amongst the, the nominees for the Norris Trophy here at the halfway point of their season. Uh, I think goaltending obviously is in good hands with Demko and Casey the Smith. So uh, I think that maybe you want to add something up front. Uh, it's interesting to me as well when you talk about Vancouver, Matt, in the, in the, in the framework of, hey, Kuzmenko is on his way out. He scored 36 goals last season, as we know. Oh, but he's not seen eye to eye and playing the right way in terms of Rick Tockett behind the bench. Lately, he started to come around, and then we heard for the longest time that Connor Garland was able to go out and search out a deal. Uh, let, let me get traded somewhere. All of a sudden, Connor Garland's finding a home with the, the Vancouver Canucks, too. So it's amazing what winning can do. Everybody's kind of slotted into respective positions there. Uh, everybody, of course, uh, with the club being so successful, looks like the greatest thing since sliced bread. I know they're going to hit a downturn at some point. Vancouver fans are hoping that's a, a long ways off and certainly before they get to the postseason. But it's been a great story out there, no doubt. Uh, to your point, though, I think adding something down the middle of the ice probably should be and, and will be in the offing for, for Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine. So when you look at the top of the National Hockey League standings right now, the top two teams are both Canadian teams. It's the Winnipeg Jets, it's the Vancouver Canucks. Which of those two has been more impressive for you? Because, you know, they're doing it kind of in two different ways. Like, Winnipeg has been great defensively. They've also done it without... Kyle Connor, but on the other hand, the Canucks are a wagon. Like, try and outscore the Vancouver Canucks right now the way they're going. Plus, they're getting very good goaltending from Thatcher Demko. Is there a team, uh, you know, that you can pick between the two of them as to which has been the more impressive story? Boy, that's a great question. Uh, I'm impressed by both of them. Uh, If I had to give you one, I'd just say Winnipeg just because of the transition that they went through earlier this season, uh, because of the fact that that Scott O'Neill had to come in and step in when when Rick Bonus was was with his wife Judy dealing with what they were dealing with and and going through. So, you know, if anything, that could have maybe curtailed their season to a large extent. But because Scott O'Neill's got the, the, the coaching experience and a head role and is an assistant role, they really didn't miss a beat. And then Rick came back and they haven't missed a beat. So uh, I think just because of what happened behind the bench there earlier this season, maybe I'm more impressed with the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, losing Shifley like they did last season certainly is cause for concern. But the fact that they've been able to win without Kyle Connor, and boy, was it great to see him on the ice yesterday in a non-contact jersey, a non-contact sweater for the Jets, which is you know one of the last hurdles to get towards returning. That'll be a great shot for them in the arm. But this has been a, a real good team. It's a, it's a defensive team, as we know, that uh, is really great defensively. And the fact that they've now gone, what, Matt, I'm losing track of it, 31 straight games with giving up three goals or less in a hockey game is, is tremendous to begin with. We know what they've got in goal. Uh, Josh Morrissey, a Norris Trophy candidate last season, has been pretty darn good this time around. Neil Pionk, of course, has been like found money in being picked up from the New York Rangers a couple of years ago. They've got enough scoring depth. Cole Perfetti is emerging before a 
very eyes and becoming a consistent performer for them. The trade with the Los Angeles Kings has been advantage Winnipeg so far. Let's face it. I mean, PLD has been a disappointment with the Los Angeles Kings. Velarde, when he's played, has been really, really good. Kupari's coming back. You know, you you look at Ayafalo as a guy that certainly can, can slot in up and down your lineup, too. So, look, I think a lot is going right for the Winnipeg Jets right now, but it does, to your point, start with defense. And you can start with Hellebuck, and you can start with Brassois, and you can start with the fact that those guys really can hunker on down and protect the lead once they get it. I didn't think we were going to get here, but um, is Pierre-Luc Dubois the most frustrating player in the league? Like, I, I don't mean to put you on the spot like that because it's probably there's probably a few guys. But you look at the size, you look at the skill level, and then you look at the point production, you're just like, ah, it's just not there. It may never be there. And he's got a big ticket that went along with that trade, the package that they traded to get him. I don't know. For me, I just watch him and I just say, he's the guy that you want more out of seemingly all the time because we've seen the glimpses of him play well in the playoffs too. Well, he's an enigma, right, Matt? That's what you're getting at. He's an enigma where, you know, some nights he can look like a world beater, and then other nights, of course, you don't notice him and you really question his effort. I saw something last night floating around social media. Remember that ISO camera that they had on PLD uh, in his final days in Columbus? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and they followed him around the ice for an entire shift. Like, he was skating straight-legged for the entire shift. Mm-hmm. He didn't even want to bend over, and he didn't even want to push off. Like, it was the most embarrassing effort that you'd ever want to see. The only guy that I can compare to him is a guy I mentioned a little bit earlier when it came to Ovechkin and the Capitals, and that's Evgeny Kuznetsov. Because yeah. we saw Kuznetsov in 2018 really play well in the playoffs en route to them winning that Stanley Cup, as we know. And he was great. And we saw the pterodactyl, the bird that he does after scoring goals. We saw it a lot because he wanted to score, he wanted to win, but the will has not always been there from Kuznetsov's standpoint. And I remember a quote years ago that he had. uh, He was talking to a publication over in Europe, and Kuznetsov admitted that uh, he realizes that in order to become the ultimate best, you really have to put the work in. You've got to put the preparation in to become the best. He admitted, Matt, that he wasn't sure he wanted to put that work in. So I'm thinking, okay, well, this is a guy that's, that, that's good, but this is a guy that could be great if he just wanted to work a little bit. We get back to Crosby at 36, still having the energy that he's got, still having that passion to win and to outwork the next guy, almost catching EP40 on that overtime goal last night in busting his tail to get back. You would never see that type of effort from Kuznetsov. And, of course, with him getting up there in age and with what's left on the contract, it's an immovable deal for the Washington Capitals, even though he intimated at the end of last season that he was as good as gone, he wanted to change his scenery the whole bit. He's still with the Capitals. They're, they're saddled with Evgeny Kuznetsov at this point. And, again, it, it really does make you shake your head a little bit when you see a guy with the talent that Kuznetsov has got and you want it to come to the surface each and every night, and it doesn't. And same thing with Pierre-Luc Dubois. It's very, very frustrating because you know those guys could dominate games if they really deep down wanted to. Scotty, my mom always told me, Matthew, if you ever applied yourself, you could have been a lawyer. And here I am (laughs) all these years later. Um, I'm enjoying my my time here, so that's not a problem. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois is enjoying his time in L.A. too. The weather's really, really nice out there, especially (laughs) when you're getting paid as many sheets as he is. Um, Okay, so the Buffalo Sabres last night, uh, I'm watching Tage Thompson play. And I I see the shot and I see that skill level. I'm like, boy, like I would love to see 
how this team would translate in playing in the playoffs because offensively, their forwards are a lot of fun to watch. It's a really great group. It's just a shame that they can't get their goaltending figured out because I would love to see that group play with even more confidence offensively, knowing they can take more chances because they look back at the goalie and go, oh, okay, kind of like how Tampa Bay would play with Andre Vasilevsky, you know, where they're confident, like, okay, we can pinch here and we can try this and we can do this. I wish the Sabres could do that because they're already, they're kind of a tire fire to watch to begin with. I would love to see them with a confident goaltender. Well, it's it's a great point you bring up, and and I think back to, to teams that have gone with a young goaltending duo. Usually, if you've got a young kid coming in, you've at least got a veteran guy to kind of share some time with him, and it's sort of protection or insulation. If the young guy's really struggling a little bit, fighting the puck, you can go with the veteran guy to win some games over a couple-week time frame. Buffalo doesn't have that option because they've got two young goalies, and it's UPL, and it's Devin Levi, and, and they're trying to get it all figured out. It reminds me back Back when Chicago was struggling, this is pre-Jonathan Taves, this is pre-Patrick Kane, this is when five or 6,000 people would be at the United Center and the Hawks were just down near the bottom of the NHL standings and just looking for something to grasp onto. And, of course, they got Taves and Kane and everything kind of changed from that point, Keith and Seabrook and so on and so forth. But they had a tandem at one point of Craig Anderson and Michael Layton. Now, these guys were both young. They were both essentially thrown to the wolves playing behind a young team that's still trying to figure things out. And I think in a lot of ways, Buffalo is still trying to do that. Uh, those of a certain vintage and, and those that are Toronto Maple Leafs fans would take it back to the mid-1980s and they would look at Alan Bester and Ken Reggett. Again, two young goaltenders that were trying to figure it out, playing behind a team that defensively wasn't very good. I think that's how I kind of look at, at the Buffalo Sabres right now as they try to get untracked here. And it is somewhat remarkable as I look at the standings too, Matt, to think that Buffalo is only seven points out of a playoff spot. It feels like they should be 17 points out of a playoff spot, but they're, they're seven points back. Now they've got a handful of teams they have to try to leapfrog before they can get to the Tampa Bay Lightning. They've got to go on a run, let's face it. I, I don't know that they're waving the white flag at this point halfway through the season, but they've got to go on a run where over two or three weeks they can win eight out of ten games to put themselves more back in a serious contention for a playoff position. But last night was a step in the right direction for them. You're right. I mean, the goaltending's got to be better. There's no question about it. Uh, but I also think it's a young defensive team, more or less, when you exclude guys like Clifton and Eric Johnson on the back end. They're still trying to figure it out on a night-to-night basis, and uh, it's going to come together at some point. And Lord knows, Buffalo Sabres fans have waited you know, 12, 13 years for this all to come back together again. It's going to happen at some point. We'll just have to wait and see here if it happens in the next month or two because they really need it to happen big time in Western New York. And that's a fan base that, you know, they could use that kind of stuff. It's a good fan base. They're, they're a great football fan base. They're a great hockey fan base. We, we always see it every year, Scotty. When the playoff numbers mm-hmm. come out in terms of ratings and viewers, Buffalo is the best outside in the U.S. outside of whatever the markets are that are in the cup final. It's a great hockey market. It's a great Sabres market. You just hope that, you know, things get better. As it pertains to the Sabres, and maybe there's a different answer for this for you. Are they the biggest disappointment in terms of expectations after last year and then what we're seeing this year? Because they weren't that far out of the playoffs last year. And now you look at it talking about them now having to go on an eight out of 10 run here just to kind of feel like you're back in it to catch up here. Um, Is there a team that stands out to you as maybe the most disappointing based on what we saw last year? 
Well, if the Buffalo Sabres are saying, hey, we're the most disappointing team in the league, the Ottawa Senators are saying, hold my beer, right? That's kind of <laughs> what we're looking at. It's, it's either got to be Buffalo or it's got to be Ottawa. I made the mistake, Matt, of buying into it. I, I thought on paper, when I looked at these two teams, I thought the way Buffalo finished up last season, I thought with all that Pierre Dorian had added to Ottawa, that both Buffalo and Ottawa would make the playoffs. Now, I'm the same guy that predicted Boston would miss out on the playoffs last season, and all they did was go on to set regular season records, as we know, and were one game away, one shot away, a Marshawn breakaway opportunity on Bobrovsky, uh, away from knocking out the Panthers, and who knows what could have happened from that point. So uh, I think that, that Buffalo is disappointing. Ottawa is equally, if not more disappointing, and they've had a lot going on, obviously, in the ownership change and restructuring the front office and firing DJ and bringing in Jacques Martin for that Jacques Martin 2.0 experience. So, I don't know, it's, it's a coin flip to me. Buffalo, Ottawa, each have been equally disappointing, and it's ironic that you know, they faced each other last night, and maybe that's the victory that gets the Buffalo Sabres going back in the right direction. As we say, they're going to have to go on a bit of a run here. The the Jacques Martin 2.0 is actually kind of funny to me because, and I, I was talking about this with Jeff earlier this week, like we all saw the writing on the wall here. Like this was never DJ Smith's idea. We knew that. But even in Jacques Martin's post-game press conference where he's kind of telling these guys like, you, you need to man up or, you know, it, it's not going to, like he's basically saying, I know I'm going to be here in some capacity. You can figure out amongst yourselves who still wants to be here when this thing is all figured out. Yeah, he's still saying they have to learn how to play the right way. They have to learn how to play away from the puck. I mean, that team defensively just, I mean, leaves the goalies uh, hanging out to dry. And, and it was heartbreaking to see Forsberg get hurt the way he did last night, too, because there's a guy who finally got the Ottawa, got some stability, got the contract, a multi-year one at that. And Forsberg, of course, with the not one but two MCL injuries, one to each knee, and then leaves the game last night, too. So this, this team is, is trying to figure things out. I would suggest, and I know that Ottawa has basically got games in hand on everybody that they're chasing. That's all well and good, but as we know, you have to win those games. Uh, I would suggest that the second half of the season for the Ottawa Senators is a a fact-finding mission for the front office. It's going to be a, a case of Jacques Martin being a caretaker for whomever they hire during the offseason, whether that's, you know, Jay McKee or John Gruden or, or, or somebody like a Craig Berube, somebody like that gets hired. I, I'd be surprised if it happens this season, though. It's Jacques Martin's job to try to teach these young players, specifically in Ottawa, how to play better away from the puck. If he can sort of be that Donnie Granado type that Donnie was in the teaching of the Buffalo Sabres, then maybe Ottawa comes back next season's a little bit better off for it. But right now it's a work in progress, and they're they're trying to get things organized from a defensive perspective. And that Corpusalo deal does not look. I thought it was a great deal when they signed mm-hmm. it, and I'm looking at it going, but oh boy, like this is. Uh, he's not in LA anymore playing with that <laughs> defensive structure. That's for sure. Uh, so Pyotr Kachetkov is in concussion protocol. We just found out uh, Yanif Peretz will be called uh, recalled from uh, ECHL. Uh, where is he now? ECHL Norfolk, because, you know, trying to follow the Carolina hurricanes in their situation with the AHL yeah. is so much fun. Um, this year kind of feels like the year of the depth goaltender, doesn't it, Scotty? Because three goalies get hurt last night, Kachetkov, Gibson, and you mentioned Forsberg there. Uh, I asked Elliot this question, and I'm curious to get your take on it. 
Is this year's deadline going to be how many, you know, the teams that can acquire goaltending depth? Because it used to be the defensemen, right? Everybody, you got to have yep. eight defensemen, 10 defensemen deep in order to go on a long playoff run. And they got to be big. They got to be strong, all that stuff. And now you look at it and say, do you have enough goaltending? Because just when you think that you do have goaltending depth and you have enough of it, you don't. Ask the Buffalo Sabres, ask the Toronto Maple Leafs, ask the Carolina Hurricanes. Is this the year of the depth goalie if you want to make a playoff run? I think it is, uh, and I think it's a carryover from last season too, right? The team that was left standing at the end had to use five goalies themselves just to get to a Stanley Cup championship too. So maybe that template was there uh, when you looked at a team like Vegas having to overcome what they did. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think you've got to go deep in your organization, and, and, and you've got to make sure you've got that depth because inevitably whether it's poor play in the case of a Samsonov or whether it's an injury in the case of a Kachetkov uh, with the injury he suffered last night for Carolina, you are going to have to go two, three deep, even five deep to get to where you want to go. So there's no doubt. And I like the comparison you draw too, Matt, because that's what we always hear at trade deadline time, right? We need depth on the blue line, and you know we need to have guys watching from the press box who are more than capable of stepping in to play well to play some minutes during a playoff contest. So uh, there's no doubt. I mean, it's really, really changed. And look, I think some of those teams have to be applauded for holding on to three goalies. Like I was raising my eyebrows at Buffalo when they had the two young guys and Eric Comrie. I was raising my eyebrows at the fact that Don Waddell and the Canes said, you know what? We're going to go through this season carrying the three-headed monster once again, and we'll see where things go. We know that Montreal is still trying to figure out Caden Primo and Jake Allen, and looks like Montembeau certainly has really established himself as a guy who's not going to be leaving Montreal anytime soon. But beyond that, I think you do need to have those goalies and you need to have them in the AHL. You need to have them in the ECHL because at some point, some of those guys will get an opportunity. Uh, it's why I think people, people that thought to trade Linus Allmark was a good idea uh, were crazy because when mm-hmm. you have two really good goalies, you should probably hang on to them because uh, you might need one of them when the other one goes down. Uh, Scotty, listen, you've been gracious with your time as always. Good luck to your Cowboys this weekend. Um, I'm not going to pick a side because, uh, well, both of those fan bases don't like me and I'm not a big fan of theirs, but I'm a big fan of yours and all the time you gave me. Thanks a lot, I appreciate it. You know, Matt, I I look at it this way, and I was talking to a Packers fan yesterday about it. Either the Cowboys win on Sunday and are about ready to go on a run, or Bill Belichick is the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys sometime next week. Oh, boy. Would that be fun? Jerry and Bill, it's a a buddy cop uh, thing that we're going to have going on here. Hey, look, (laughs) if Jerry Jones and Bill Parcells could exist for a couple of seasons, I'm sure that Bill Belichick, who's one of the, the, the guys that certainly got some tutelage from Bill Parcells over the years, I'm sure he could do it for at least three. Could you imagine that conversation? Oh, boy. Oh, two insanely different personalities. Uh, Scotty, thanks so much, buddy. Enjoy the weekend. All right. Thanks, Matt. There you go. Scott Lachlan, co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network. This goaltending thing to me is fascinating. We've been talking about it since the beginning of the season. And one team that we talked about goaltending going back multiple years, not just this year, not last year, the Edmonton Oilers. And it actually has been pretty good. Like Stuart Skinner has been very good over the course of a six-game, a personal six-game winning streak. The Oilers are flying. They win again last night uh, in overtime over the Detroit Red Wings. Darnell Nurse with the winner there. And boy, oh boy, the Oilers look like they're back, and they look very scary. Mark Spector from Sportsnet will join us when we come back. We'll talk about the Oilers. We'll talk about Connor McDavid speaking his mind, which is something that 
I don't think a lot of people expected Connor McDavid would do. We'll get Specs take on that as well. It's the Jeff Merrick show. Matt Marchese filling in. You're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the Jeff Merrick Show, the final block of the week. As we get you set for the weekend, should be a good one. Jeff will be back on Monday. And I will be back in this chair Wednesday and Thursday next week. Much to the chagrin of technical operator Lance Kennedy, who has to deal with me a lot. He said, I appreciate the warning. There you go, Lance. Um, You know who needs a warning is teams that are playing the Edmonton Oilers right now. And the, the warning needs to say, This is not the Edmonton Oilers from earlier this season. They are absolutely flying right now. And who better to talk about them than our next guest, Mark Spector from Sportsnet. Speck, how are you today, pal? Very well, Matthew. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, Not as good as the Edmonton Oilers, though. I mean, 17 of their last 20 games have resulted in wins. It's a run that I don't think anybody in the organization or the fan base could have dreamed of considering how this thing started. And yet here we are three losses sandwiched between winning streaks of eight and nine games. They occupy the top wildcard spot, only three points behind the Kings who are stumbling plain and simple spec. What the heck happened here? <laughs> I don't know what the hell happened. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good question. I follow these guys every day. I certainly never saw this coming. Um, you know, I mean, let's what was going wrong. Let's start there. McDavid was hurt. Like the first dozen games they went two nine and one got the coach fired they're tied for 32nd place in the league uh mcdavid's hurt he's not very good dry saddles not very good echo misses camp he's playing but he's not very good mcleod misses camp he's playing he's not very good uh bouchard is without echo being solid bouchard looks awful in his own zone uh hyman's got no one passing him pucks because mcdavid just wasn't right you know, all the things that makes your team good, none of them are working. It's like if you have a car and you got six parts that need replacing, guess how the unit's going to run, right? Not so swell. So that's where they were, and they they replaced, you know, the parts got healthy, and uh, this is what you get, a pretty good hockey team. So Chris Knobloch comes in, and, and he's been around the game. He's coached in the OHL. He's coached in the AHL. A previous NHL experience was as an assistant coach. And, you know, has he changed something with this group, or is it – is it just the players are playing? The guys that you expect to be good, like you mentioned, have been good. And, I mean, getting better goaltending certainly will help that conversation. Or has he done yeah. something differently with this group? Because now you're looking at him going, wow, Chris Knobloch might be coach of the year after the way this team started. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that. It struck me last night as we were doing the post-game meeting where I thought, man, if this guy keeps this team rolling, he might be up for Jack Adams, which is, you know, Never anybody thought about that. But anyway, that's way down the road. Uh, You know what I'll say about a coach is if we're going to fire coaches and blame coaches when it goes sour, you got to give them credit when it goes good. Yep. Right. And this guy, like he hasn't, he didn't make major changes. He couple little tweaks in the D zone. I think he did some stuff with their neutral zone coverage, which you're going to have to find someone else who digs in on that stuff because I tend not to. Uh, but he made some, you know, he's a coach, so he came in and he pushed some buttons, but 
the thing that had to happen here is they had a lot of guys who you couldn't believe it, but they didn't have any confidence. They had a bunch of players who were looking over their shoulder and they weren't confident and they weren't making plays and they weren't playing the way they're used to playing. And he, he might have a, I don't know if he's got a degree in psychology or not, but I think the best work did is he came in here and he just calmed everyone down and said, okay, you guys, chill, okay, just chill and play. And, you know, we always thought the Oilers were a pretty good team, and now they're playing like a pretty good team. you got to give the coach a share of the credit, man. Because like I say, if it was going the other direction, we'd be all over the guys. Yeah, and you can't—you certainly can't argue with the results. I mean, <laughs> the team's been really good since he took over. And, I mean, the personality that you get when you watch Chris do interviews or, or you listen to him postgame, <laughs> yeah. he's very, very level. Like, he doesn't get oh. too high, he doesn't get too low. And some people may see that as a flaw, but it's kind of what the Oilers maybe needed. And not that, not that Jay Woodcroft was a very bombastic individual, because he was not. But when Jay talked, it was like he's, he sounded very philosophical a lot of the time. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but maybe it's just yep. not what the team needed. I think Jay Woodcroft is a good coach. I think Jay Woodcroft should have a job tomorrow. Um, I'm surprised he doesn't, to be honest with you. But is that part of it, too, is that Chris Knobloch just has a different a different idea of this is what my personality needs to be, and it's kind of the same all the time. Some people may fault that, but other people may look and go, that's just what they need right now. It's, it's Sometimes you got to fit the right group of players with the right coach, and you know, he's a different guy, I'll tell you. Like, I can't – they're on – you know how you, how teams go through these runs on video replay and you go, you get six in a row that go your way, and then you get six in a row that go the other way, right? Well, the orders are on the bad end of that right now. Every goal, whether it's contact or something, whether it's on their net or the other, they're losing every review. They're losing offside reviews. They're losing them all. And, you know, a lot of coaches get pretty sour about that. Chris Doblock. I talked to him after the, the Chicago game. They lost two goals to review. He said after, he said, ah, they were probably right. You know, he says, I could see what they were thinking. I could see what the what Toronto was looking at. Like, he is the opposite of John Tortorella. He is, he is there is no Bruce, Bruce Boudreaux in this man whatsoever. You know, he's, uh, he's willing to work within the parameters of whatever the league gives him. He's not crying about the referees, even when they get some lousy calls. And it's funny because you talk about the reviews and stuff like that. And I wanted to ask you about this. Jeff and I talked about this uh, in regards to your question to Connor McDavid earlier this week about the review. Mm -hmm. You know, Jeff mentioned this. A lot of superstars do not rock the apple cart in terms of like not calling out the league, but maybe having a gripe about certain things. I don't think that I ever expected Connor McDavid to be that guy. He just never kind of gave off that vibe, especially, you know, earlier yep. on in his career. You've covered him for his entire career in the NHL. Was that a surprise to you the other day, how he kind of sounded off on the review and how long it takes and all that? No, and you know what? Not for me, because I've watched it. I've watched Connor McDavid's maturation as sort of the face of the game here, like inch by inch, right? I've watched, you know... I've been next to these scrums for since the day he showed up. I'll say this to you that earlier, the issue is this. He's a kid. He shows up in the league. He's 18. Now he's, let's say he's 20, he's 21. He still hasn't been around that long. He still doesn't feel like a veteran. And all us media guys are asking him questions like, you know, the shape of the game and the rules and, and big picture. We're treating him like he's the face of the game because we think he is, but he doesn't think he is. Right. 
So it's a lot to put on a 21, 22 year old kid. So fast forward now, he's 26, right? He, he, he's been around, he's won heart trophies. Now Connor David can look in the mirror and say, you know what? I can get my opinion out there because I've earned the right. I'm, I'm, I'm not just some hotshot kid. I've proved it here. He is the best player in the game, and he'd never say it, but we all say it. So I guess what I'm saying is he's finally grown into that role, Matt. And now, you know, that's a, that's a pet peeve of his. Six years ago, he wouldn't say it to you, but he will now. He's sour that we're never sending a team to Canada Olympics, and he wants it to change. And it's a better Carney McDavid, right? It's a better soundbite by a hundred miles than it used to be. Uh, that that is certainly uh, not the not the problem now. I, I quite like listening to Connor McDavid now uh, post game, especially mm. when something happens. Uh, Mark Spector from Sports. Well, you Net. can you can thank us Edmonton guys for all the speed work <laughs> on that, pal. <laughs> yeah, you've really you've really pushed the process along, Spec. I appreciate that. You know I love you. Um, what what Edmonton Oilers fans love right now is the way that Stuart Skinner has been playing. He's really settled in here, and I know Calvin Pickard got the win last night, but Skinner riding a, a personal six game winning streak he's allowed more than two goals just once in those games that type of goaltending goes a long way in winning but is this a confidence thing is it the team playing better in front of him is it something that they're doing around him like what is your assessment of Stuart Skinner right now no all of the above the team is way better in front of him and when they're he's given them that that what do they call it save above expected right he's given them a save on a breakaway that he wasn't giving them for the first 15 games this year. And in turn, he's seeing way less two-on-ones and way less breakaways. And he's making, you know, he's that goalie now. He's making all the saves he's expected to make. And he's stealing a two or three a night that he shouldn't make. And, you know, you're looking at a team now that, like, I've watched this team for a long time. They can always score. But now they're figuring out how to play hockey. Like, last night, it's 0-0 after 40 minutes. The Oilers never play a game, right? They never play a game that's 0-0 after 40 minutes. Like, someone's scoring when Edmonton's playing. And you know what? They it was 40 minutes of no, no goals, and they don't freak out anymore. They don't they – don't, they had Calvin Pickard in goal, for Pete's sakes, and they're not panicking because they don't have any goals. So it's a different team here. Defensively, it's a different team between their ears, and they'll take you into the third period in a one nothing game and not panic the way they used to panic. Uh, I was talking to Scott Lachlan about this, in ter- uh, uh, you know, with the Sabres, and if they had, you know, confidence in their goaltender, how much different they would look. The Oilers play a little yeah. bit more like they have confidence in their goaltender, yeah. and maybe it's and maybe that's what was missing on their offensive game because when you have confidence in your goaltender, you can take a little bit more chances, whether it be pinching, whether it be trying to do things maybe a little bit more creative that you wouldn't have done if you didn't have confidence in your goaltender. Are you seeing that same thing with the Oilers, yeah. especially over this 20-game stretch here? Yeah, and you know where you, you in, in the defensive zone, they'll use the middle of the ice. Like, when, when the goalie's not giving you any saves, you're going off the glass. No, you're going up the wall. You're never going through the middle, right? Because you don't, you don't want the puck there because your goalie's getting scored on. So one of the, we talked about Knobloch's tweaks, one of the tweaks that you can see every night, they're exiting the zone. They're, they're using the middle of the ice. They don't mind it. And, you know, it's, it's part of, not all of it, but part of it is confidence. Like there's a bunch of trucks. Last night in Detroit. I mean, a bunch of turnovers. They have a confidence that if they screw up one of those passes, their goal is going to give them a save. So, sure, find me a hockey team with a bad goalie. I'll show you one that's nervous with the puck in their own zone. So, 
So they got some much better goaltending here. And as such, right, a lot less nervous defensemen when they got the puck on their blade. So that leads me to my next question is, has the conversation changed about, hey, we need to acquire a goaltender before the trade deadline? Or is it, you know, we're, we're okay with this right now. You know, if we could get, if somebody comes in at the right price, which there's no such thing as a right price for a goalie right now. We know that. Um, yeah. Or is there something else that you think is a bigger need here? Like, has it stabilized enough that you can say, you know yeah. what, maybe they need another depth defenseman or, you know, a bottom six forward? It's an excellent question, right? And it's, you know, they're not even halfway through the schedule, so they got time here. But it's really about assets. And this is no different than in Toronto. The same thing. You know, so right now, Pickard, everyone looks at Calgary, go, come on, he's a minor league journeyman. He can't be your backup. Well, his numbers are NHL average. I guess my question to you is, I'm going out to get a, a backup goalie in the market on, on the, you know, March 8th. Am I going to get a guy that's going to give me a better than a 902, 903 save percentage? And what's it going to cost me? Yeah. You know, don't I take that asset? Maybe I take that asset. And I, they need a third-line center here badly. So maybe I spend it on that. They need a, some size on their fourth line badly. They can't have everything. Yeah, I mean, l- listen, like I, 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 your point about playing average uh, net minding and NHL average, a lot of teams that enter in the same position as the Oilers can't boast that right now, Spec. Uh, thanks to Mark Spector for joining us there. Unfortunately, the uh, technology is not our friend today, uh, but that's okay. Speck gave us uh, a, a lot of good stuff there. And you know, the Oilers, I mean, it's really hard to nitpick the Oilers right now. They won nine games in a row. They play the Canadians tomorrow night on Hockey Night in Canada looking for a 10th straight victory. I mean, I don't want to say it's guaranteed win night because I would never say that, especially in today's NHL. But what I can say is it looks pretty good. Number 10 looks pretty good, especially with the Habs coming off of a loss to the San Jose Sharks. I know that this was tough sledding at the beginning of the season. I don't think anybody anticipated that after 13 games, we wouldn't see Jay Woodcroft as the head coach of this franchise. They got off to a slow start. They didn't get the goaltending. And like Speck pointed out, um, as we know, Connor McDavid was banged up. Leon Dreisaitl wasn't playing that well. But I can tell you this with the utmost certainty. Connor McDavid is playing well right now. Over this stretch where they are 17 wins in their last 20 games, Connor McDavid has 39 points. He's eighth in league scoring. I know I'm not saying anything hyperbolic here, but Connor McDavid right now feels like he's playing on another planet again. Not very many guys uh, around the league that are going to score 39 points in 20 games. I'll tell you that much for free. It's going to be a fun weekend. Always is. There's always, and, and who knows what episode of the soap opera we're going to get on Monday. Will we have more goalie injuries? Because God knows we've had enough of those. Player injuries? Hope not. Maybe some record-breaking performances. I don't know, but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, thanks to everybody that jumped on the show today. Elliot Friedman, Eric Stevens, Scott Lachlan, and Mark Spector, who you just heard. Thanks to everybody behind the glance, the glass. Lance, Jen, and David. It's Friday. I'm going home. Yes, yes. Uh, Jeff will be back on Monday. Thanks for listening and watching to the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese filling in. 
You've been listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet 360. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you on Monday.